talked about how well we are doing in the rewards department. Are we cooperating with God's grace as his fellow laborer? Are we actually building on the foundation of our salvation in Jesus Christ? Are we being faithful to use what God has entrusted to us? Because we all will give an account. In fact, as we learned last week, it will be a fiery account. Our works will be tried by fire. I told you last week that I wanted to address why it is so important to work diligently as Christians for our heavenly rewards. Why it's not enough just to make it to heaven. I hope that that's not where you are, that you're just content to, hey, I'm saved, I'm, I'm going to make it to heaven when I die, it doesn't really matter how I live down here. If you're like that, chances are you're either not saved or you're so far from God, you've lost all sensitivity, you're, you're steeped in carnality in the flesh, and you don't really have a, a mindset of spiritual things. And the Bible says if a, a fleshly mind is an in, enemy of God. So I hope that's not you this morning. But I want to help you understand why it's so important to work for what's to come and even greater than what's here. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Why should we not be content just to make it to heaven as Christians? Why is that not enough? Well, let me remind you, if that were all there were to it, you would have gone to heaven the moment you were saved. If that was what your salvation was all about, was heaven, you'd have gone there the moment you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. But you're, you were left here. So it's not enough just to be saved. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, begin with verse 5. But also for this very reason, underline this if you're an underliner, giving all what? Diligence. What's the next word? Add. To what? Add to your faith. The Bible tells us it's not enough just to be saved. You're to give diligence to add to your faith. And he mentions several things. He says virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And he says if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, he be even more diligent, underline that, even more diligent, to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you. Hey, there it is. An entrance will be supplied to you. What's the next word? That's the key word. Underline that. An entrance will be supplied to you how? Abundantly. Not by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> Abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One author said this, The most difficult person to deal with is the one who has the smug satisfaction of an experience that he can, to which he can refer back, but who is not working it out in practical life. If you say you're saved, show it. 
He goes on to say, The experience must be so genuine that it is shown in the life. And beware of any belief that makes you self-indulgent. Because it came from the pit of hell, no matter how beautiful it sounds. See, that's the danger of thinking heaven's enough. Oh, I'm just going to get saved, and I'm just going to have fire insurance. I'm, I'm going to escape hell. I'm going to go to heaven. But you live a self-indulgent lifestyle down here. Friends, first of all, if that's your perspective, you're lost and without Jesus Christ. You know, even though you walk down the aisle, you said a little prayer, and you got baptized, you're lost and headed to hell. If that's your perspective, that's as simple as it boils down to that. It's not enough. That's easy believism. You don't find that in the New Testament. When people's lives were changed, when they gave their life to Jesus, Jesus changed their life. He changed their perspective. And he changed their destiny. It's not just about changing your destiny. It's about changing your whole life. And if your life hasn't been changed by the power of Jesus Christ, then you never surrendered your life to him in the first place. You say, yeah, well, I believe all the right things. Yes, so does the devil. He believes all the right things. But he's not going to be in heaven because he believes the right things. He will never surrender his will to Jesus Christ, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He will never allow Jesus to be Lord over his life. And friends, if you're trying to live a life where Jesus isn't Lord, then maybe he's not your Savior either. Because the two don't, are not separated. They go hand in hand. We must confess Jesus as Lord. So why should we diligently add to our faith? What difference does it make if I work diligently for my eternal rewards or I don't? I'm going to give you four reasons this morning. First of all, the key word is abundant. You want an abundant entrance. Here's the first reason. God's value system is higher than ours. God sees things differently. If you want to follow me in Scripture, if not, you can just look it up on the, script, look up on the screen. In 1 Corinthians 9, we've used this passage before as we're in this gold series, talking about um, going for the gold and going for things that last for eternity, our relationship with God, souls, our church, and now our heavenly rewards. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way. So it matters how we run. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. That means self-controlled, disciplined in all things. You know, I was listening just, you know, we were, I, I didn't watch the LSU game because I didn't want to get mad. It's kind of like the news, <laughs> but I was listening as Jonathan was watching it, and I heard before the pregame, the whole College Day pregame show, and I was listening, and they were interviewing Allie Reisman, who was the gymnast, gold medal gymnast, and, and she was talking, they were talking about the discipline that she had to have, and she said, you know, she had to train seven hours a day, seven hours a day, and she would be literally physically exhausted and fully spent. She said, my goal was, I, I just hoped that I had trained harder than everybody else. She was disciplined. She was tempered in all things. But that for an imperishable crown. That's what he says. They do it for an imperishable, for an imperishable crown. I mean, a perishable crown. We are doing it for an imperishable one. One that doesn't fade away. Paul said, Therefore I run not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection. I don't let my body dictate what I do. 
I don't let my flesh tell me what direction my life's going to go. I bring it under the surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he says, lest I myself should become disqualified. So you see there's a difference. God's value system is different. We, we, sometimes we get our eyes on the perishable stuff, the, the stuff down here, but we need to have our eyes on the imperishable. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Remember, God was, uh, Samuel was looking for the next king of Israel. God had rejected Saul, and so he comes to Jesse, and uh, God led him to the household of Jesse, and Jesse had all these boys, eight boys, and he went to each one, and he saw the first one, and he's a tall, handsome, muscular guy, and Samuel said to himself, surely this is the one. Surely this is the next king of Israel. And you remember what God told him? Oh, Samuel, I have not chosen him. And don't forget this. He said, I don't look at a man's outward appearance. I look at the heart. God's value system is not on the outside. God's value system is what's going on inside. What's going on inside your life? God's not pleased... By what outward conformity, he's pleased with an inward reality. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than yours. God has, God's value system is so much different than ours. In Luke 16, in verse 15. Jesus told the Pharisees, verse 14, he says, Luke makes the note, he said, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things, and they began to deride Jesus. So Jesus said, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men, what everybody thinks is so important, is an abomination to God. Be careful that you don't fall into the trap of going along with what everybody thinks is the greatest, latest thing. And, and, and great, giving great value to that which everybody thinks is great because it could be that it's an abomination in the eyes of God. It's worthless to God. You see, God's value system is so much different than ours. How do we know we're living for eternity? Well, when we're not living for ourselves. In Mark chapter 10, verse 31, Jesus said... The first will be last, and the last will be first. Things are going to be reversed in heaven. You know that? Things are going to be reversed. What's so important down here is going to be unimportant there. I mean, it's going to be so reversed that the gold that we have, we're living for here, they're going to pave the streets with there. You know, nobody collects asphalt. I've noticed that. But we're stockpiling... Silver and gold. But it's, it's worthless in heaven. They're going to so worthless they pave the streets with it. See, God's value system is going to be reversed. It's, it all, it's not going to be reversed. It is reversed. And when we're living for the things that perish, we're wasting our life. I don't have time to read them, but I do want to refer you to 1 Corinthians 1. And three, where God tells, well, Paul's telling the church at Corinth uh, the, the difference between what's wise and what's unwise. He's talking about the message of the cross. He said to the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the Jews, it's, it's, it's a stumbling block. He said, but we're going to 
keep preaching Jesus Christ, crucified. But he says in verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And then in chapter 3, in verse uh, uh, 19, he says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So all of our wisdom, our collective wisdom here, we can put our heads together, the smartest, brightest ones of us. I better step away from that category. The smartest, brightest ones of y'all. PhDs, by the way, one of my favorite evangelists, you know, he, he says, you know how to pronounce PhD? You can't even pronounce it. It's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not knocking PhDs, okay? If you have one, I'm, I don't mean to offend you, but, but all the knowledge we can put together and pile up, and we think we can make such smart, wise decisions. It's to God. If you're not including God, if you're not seeking God, if you're not asking God's wisdom and direction every step of the way, all along the way, foolishness. He said, God said, I've chosen, verse 27, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, the weak things to put to shame the mighty, the base things, the things which are despised, I've chosen. You see, God's economy is reversed. That's why we should be living for our heavenly reward, diligently giving ourselves to serving God completely. Secondly, why should we diligently add to our faith? Why should heaven not just be enough? Because our joy in heaven is tied directly to our rewards. Now, I don't want to say something Scripture doesn't say, but I think Scripture strongly suggests what I'm about to say. And I'm going to show you in the Scripture why I believe that. I think, perhaps, okay, now I'm going to say like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, I say this as my perspective, not as commanded of God. But it seems from Scripture that there are levels of joy in heaven. Not levels of heaven, levels of joy in heaven. And it's tied to how we lived here and the rewards we earned while alive here. Now, Matthew 25, you remember the parable of the talents. By the way, what's a talent? I looked it up. It was 110 pounds of gold. 110 pounds of gold. Today's value system, $1.2 million. So, the master gave one man five talents of gold. You do the math. He gave another man two talents of gold, and to another man, one. The one with five talents went out and invested it, worked diligently while the master was gone. This, he, was, he was not giving it to him, he was entrusting it to them as a steward. This is his master's gold. I'm entrusting you to use my gold, use my money to do business till I come back. Jesus is telling a parable about how we're to live, what he's entrusted with us. The, the great value of the things he, he's given us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, eternal life, and forgiveness of sins, and the spiritual gifts that he's given us as Christians. And he says, do business till I come. Well, the one with five and the one with two, he went out, they went out and they worked diligently and doubled their, the master's return. When the master came back, the one with five had ten, the one with two had four. And Jesus said to the, those two, verse 21 and 23, the same thing, well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful. Repeats that twice. Faithful over a few things. 
I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the, what? Joy of the Lord. In John chapter 15, Jesus teaches us about our connection to him. God is the husbandman. He's the master gardener. Jesus is the vine. We are the what? Branches. He said, abide in me and I in you and you will bear what? Fruit. Much fruit. Fruit that remains. And he says in verse 9 or verse uh, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that what? Your joy may be full, abundant. Jesus said, as you abide in me here and as you bear fruit, it multiplies your joy. In Acts chapter 20, verse 23 and 24, Paul was talking about uh, a group of people that had impacted, well, actually, uh, Paul was talking about uh, his ministry. And he, he tells uh, the Ephesian elders there in Acts chapter 20, he says, um, the Holy Spirit's pretty much already told me that the only thing that awaits me is chains, imprisonment, and persecution. That's what I have to look forward to. Now, what if, what if the Holy Spirit came to you and said, Hey, Andrew, let me just tell you what's in front of you. Bad things are coming. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. I'd be going, why me? But he told, the Holy Spirit testified to him that all this coming was chains and imprisonment. I mean, tr trouble. But Paul said, this doesn't bother me. He said, I don't count my life dear to myself. He said, what I'm worried about is finishing my race with what? Joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus, the Bible says about Jesus, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. For the joy that was set before him, the joy of being seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the joy of receiving many souls into his kingdom because of his sacrifice. You know Psalm 126 probably by heart, or at least you'll recognize it. He said, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those who are sowing, who are diligently working down here in sorrow and in tribulation and in difficulty for the Lord's sake shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, that is, you're continually going forth, you're continually to serve the Lord and sowing the precious seeds of the gospel through your service and through your lips. He said, bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You see, your joy in heaven is directly tied to your rewards. No rewards, little joy. Now, see, I, I'm not trying to prove a point here. I'm, what I'm trying to encourage you to see is that, that there are possibly levels of joy in heaven. It's not just enough to make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth. 1 Peter, Peter talks a lot about persecution. And in 1 Peter 1, he said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Peter doesn't deny the fact that trials and suffering grieves us. But you can still rejoice. 
He said that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation, that is, when Jesus comes back, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And he says in chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, that is, when you get to heaven, you may also be glad with what kind of joy? Exceeding joy. Not just joy, not just plain joy, but exceeding joy, abundant joys. For so an entrance shall be supplied to you abundantly in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You don't want to just make it by the skin of your teeth. Paul talked, to the, talked about the believers at, at Thessalonica. He said, what is our joy? What is our crown? Is it not you? You're our crown of rejoicing. Paul said, these believers who, who I have started this church and came to know Christ because of the ministry there in Thessalonica, he said, you add joy to my life. Let me ask you this. When you get to heaven, are there, is there anybody going to be there because of you? You say, no, it's all because of Jesus. Yes, but, but if because of your witness, because of your life, your testimony. Is anybody going to be there because of you? How greatly your joy is going to be multiplied when you can stand before Christ and say, and, and Christ introduces you to these people whose lives are there, whose souls are there because of your impact upon them. And you're going to, if there were, there are no tears in heaven. But it says he'll wipe away the tears. Maybe there's tears at the very beginning that he has to wipe away. And you begin weeping with joy. Your joy is multiplied. I'll give you a third reason why it's so important to work diligently for your reward. That it's not just enough to make it by the skin of the teeth because thirdly, you can lose your reward. You can't lose your salvation. Praise God. The very nature of eternal life. He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if God gives you something and then takes it away, is that everlasting? What'd you call, what would you call that? Indian giving. That's what we used to call it. Here, you can have that. And then tomorrow say, I want it back. God doesn't do that. He said, I place you in my Father's hand, and no man is able to pluck you out again. Your salvation is safe and secure. You cannot lose that. But you can lose your reward. Seventy-plus Olympic athletes have been stripped of their gold medals. Do you know that? Several U.S. athletes. One you know very familiar, Lance Armstrong for using performance-enhancing drugs, was stripped of his gold medal in cycling. Reggie Bush, does that ring a bell? USC running back, played for one, our favorite NFL team at one time, the New Orleans Saints. Stripped of his Heisman Trophy. Lee Waller. I wonder what I've lost already. You say, where is that in Scripture? 2 John chapter 8, 
I'm sorry, verse 8. There's only one chapter. 2 John, verse 8. We're challenged. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we've worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Revelation 3.11. Jesus says to that church, Behold, I am coming quickly. That's part of the problem. We don't really believe Jesus is coming back quickly. we we got plenty of time. We can be lazy and slothful until the last minute. And, and you realize, oh, I've wasted so much of my life. Jesus reminds us, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Now, why would Jesus say something he didn't mean? He never said anything he didn't mean. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 10, he's talking to another church. And he says, this is the persecuted church, the church of Smyrna. He says, don't fear anything that you're about to suffer. The devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. But he said, be faithful for how long? Until death. And I'll give you the crown of life. Be faithful till death. Tim LaHaye said, many a Christian has served the Lord for many years only to capitulate to the enticement of carnality, sensuality, or some other temptation that turns him from serving Christ to reveling in the appetites of the flesh. Although such individuals will not lose their salvation, they will forfeit their rewards, or they may lose the crowns they've already earned. You don't want to lose your crown. That's why it's so important. Now, why don't you want to lose your crown? Why don't you want to lose your gold? Why don't you want to lose your reward? Because here's the fourth reason. It's so important to live diligently for your reward. You don't want to appear before Christ empty-handed. You see, God told Moses in Exodus chapter 23, He said, None shall appear before me empty-handed. I wonder how many people came to worship today empty-handed, empty-hearted. You came to church looking for something, somebody to give you something, the preacher to give you something, the music to give you something, and you didn't bring anything to offer the Lord. What did you bring to the Lord today? See, that's the perspective of God. Remember, everything with God's reversed. We come looking for something. God shows up looking for something. He's looking for what you have to offer to Him. That's why we sing. We're offering our sacrifice of praise. That's why we give. We're giving Him something tangible, something that means something to us, something valuable to Him, showing Him how much we value Him when we give our, our tithes and our offerings. And, and that's why we serve Him. He said, none shall appear before me empty-handed. Now go back to the parable of the talents in, in Matthew chapter 25. Remember there was one guy who only got one talent, 110 pounds of gold. All he got was, one, all he got was $1.25 million. And when the master came back, here's what he said, Lord, I, I knew you were a hard man. See, that's the problem. A lot of people, a lot of y'all think God's hard. No, God's not hard. In fact, he says his commandments are not burdensome. He said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And see, some of you won't ever start because you're afraid it's never enough. God's, remember, God's... Perspective is different from ours. Some of you say, well, it don't matter what I do. God's never going to be pleased. That's not true. God's not pleased by your attitude right there. I'm just not going to do anything. It's, it's never going to be enough. That's what, this, that's what this man was thinking. 
It's never going to be enough. I'm, I'm afraid. I, I, I can't. I won't. Just start saying, I will. And, and do, he said, remember what he said to the others? Faithful over a few things. What is it that you can be faithful in right now with what God's given you, with where God's put you? He said, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Hey, he's saying, at least you, get, you didn't lose anything. The Lord answered and said, remember what he said to the first guy, good and faithful? What does he call this guy? Wicked and lazy. This guy had to show up empty-handed. You say, no, he didn't. He had one talent. That wasn't his talent. That was the master's talent. He didn't do anything to have anything else to present to the master. And see, you'll be ashamed if that happens. That's why I believe there's levels of joy. Because there's going to be some shame. You say there's going to be shame? Yeah, at the judgment seat of Christ, like we talked about last week. Maybe not for all of eternity, but at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be some shame on all of our parts, probably. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. John says, And now, little children, abide in Christ, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, he said, with all boldness, he said, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And he said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. Unashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Jesus said, and Paul also wrote to Timothy in that same letter in chapter 4, in verse 8, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only but also to those who have loved his appearing. We don't want to stand before Christ empty-handed. We sang the song this morning, and again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about the crown. Crown him Lord of all. Crown him with many crowns. Where are those crowns coming from? The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4, the 24 elders, and in my study and understanding of Revelation, those 24 elders represent the believers of all the ages, the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament, the 12 disciples of the New Testament. Although I do believe that they have special place in the kingdom of God, but it's still representative of all the believers. 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying 
You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Are you going to have something to give him? Are you going to have a crown to crown him with? Some of you won't, and you're going to be ashamed. You'll make it to heaven. You can't lose your salvation, but your joy will not be what it could be. You see, it's not enough just to slide into heaven like you slide into second. Church, Christians, God's value system is higher than ours. Your joy is directly tied. Your joy here and in heaven is directly tied to your rewards. You can lose your rewards if you're not faithful. And you don't want to stand before Christ with nothing to give him at that day. Let's pray together.